Um, Sabrina, um, kind of going back uh, into your story here a little, because I do kind of want to, I want to make sure that we're able to get both of your guys' uh, stories out here because this is both your guys' episode. Um, but I kind of wanted to get back into your kind of career path here. Um, at what point does uh, d- does working at a rink um, kind of become like, oh, like, because I have a lot of people on and I call some people lifers. Um, I don't know if you want to go ahead and, and call yourself a lifer. It seems like you enjoy it. Uh, it seems like you still show up to work every day. Uh, do you consider yourself a lifer? And at what point did you say, hey, I, I really like working in the rink industry and this is something I want to continue to do. do can you kind of remember where you were at when that uh, that switch flipped a little bit for you? Uh, yeah. So, you know, being I was with I joined the abs the second season of the team being here and that excitement of being around a rink and all that fun stuff. Um, I was obviously in the admin side at the time. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, and then always, I don't think going to games constantly and being around it, it, it you become a lifer. I mean, you're a rink rat. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. When Smokey opened the shop and we paired up for it, that was just another facet. And then, like I said, I was like, okay, I need to learn how all this works now if i'm going to be here um and then that's when i started taking my classes and jumped on the bandwagon for that um i always feel there's more knowledge is good um and been i was fortunate enough knowing uh tony down at the abs um and got to spend a day down there with him and don moffitt uh, helping with the ice crew um i also while i was trying to learn how to drive and everything I joined the Colorado Eagles staff, which is the minor league team for the Avs. Um, and we was ice crewing up there for them for a bit. And they're um, always really good, right? Aren't the Eagles always like really good? Always they, feel like yeah. they're just, they're, they're, they're kind of consistently, uh, they have a pretty good team. But Sorry to interrupt. No, that's fine. Yeah, so really good team and just enjoyed. It, it's, it's being on the flip side and knowing, as you know, well know, you know, the ice world is, it's small, it's fun. You work your butt off, but mm. it's so rewarding at the end. Um, when you make a, a sheet of ice and it's glass, mm-hmm. something to that, you know. Yeah. I, and yeah. my skills are way, you know, compared to, you know, Don and Brandon and the people mm-hmm. that I've met. I know my skills are very lacking, but yeah. hoping well, to improve. Well, hey. Um, I, I think the one the, the one cool thing about you, Sabrina, is you know a lot of people, you, you have fun with the job. Uh, and I feel like if you don't have fun in the rink industry, then you're probably not going to last very long. But uh, uh, it's always good to hear. Uh, Smokey, kind of going back into your story here a little bit, though. Um, so you end up uh, you end up with the Avs outside of the organization, but with the actual NHL team the year after they win the Stanley Cup. You've been, at this point, doing this job for quite some time. Um, so I'm assuming when you show up you know, and you, you get, uh, well, I guess you get, that's promoted, right? That's a promotion, the NHL, the NHL team. Um, but when that happens, do you notice any difference at all uh, between how things operate between the AHL and the NHL side? Or did you find that transition to be pretty easy? Uh, the transition was pretty easy. Um, we, in Cornwall, we always treated our players um, the way an NHL player would be treated, although we may not have had everything that the NHL had. We always made sure that we did everything we could to, uh, you know, to make the experience a pro experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the transition wasn't too bad. I was lucky enough to join a staff with uh, Rob McLean and uh, Mike Kramer, who would won the cup previous years and we were we gelled together pretty much from day one figuring things out and working around each other's um specialties mm-hmm. um and as, as far as that because i'm assuming it's a department um how many people are in that department and when you talk about your specialties is there something that you know you're maybe a little bit better at than some of the other people in that department do you guys kind of figure out what that is and then split up those responsibilities that way i don't think a lot of people and even people that have been around hockey for a long time i don't really think they know how those departments operate or how big the staff are um can you kind of talk about that a little bit 
Uh, back in uh, 96, we had uh, three guys, primarily three guys. Um, Rob did the gates that year. I looked after all the repairs with uh, Mike Kramer. And we both shared the duties of uh, making sure our dressing room was ready and all the other projects were done together. Mm -hmm. And then as far as uh, that staff there, because uh, I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you went from being uh, the assistant um, equipment manager and then getting a promotion again kind of that next year. Is that right? Uh, two years later. Um, two years. I went from assistant to uh, head equipment manager and uh, or uh, co-head equipment manager with Mark Miller. And uh, I took over the skate and major repairs and stuff like that. And Mark did uh, ordering and looked after all the dressing room. So at that point, needs. you're... So at that point, you, you're getting, I mean, you've always been able to sharpen skates, but at that point, that's kind of your, uh, that, that's a bigger role for you at this point. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a huge role. Yeah. Um, and, and, and back in, uh, in my assistant days, uh, I looked after, uh, all the coaches skates and all the other skates, uh, staffs feeding and, uh, all that kind of stuff also. Well, and I do have to ask this because, you know, everybody kind of has, um, you know, I, I've had some of these old pros on and some of them have these really, really weird. They talk about these really, really weird like requests that they have, like for their equipment managers and certain tweaks and certain little things uh, throughout your career. Is there anything that kind of stands out as far as like people coming in and asking you to do, you know, uh, interesting or odd things to their equipment? Because that's kind of the way that they like to do that. I'm sure there's got to be at least a couple. Oh yeah, we we had a a number of different things over the years. Guys liked their skates done a certain way. Some a couple players didn't want their skates done at all. You'd have to force them to get their uh, their skates sharpened. And uh, guys like to sit next to other guys. Guys would like to sit in certain spaces in different uh, locker rooms. Um, there were a lot of different uh, different things they would want to do. And do you find any correlation between the type of player that they are and the hollow or the cut that they like on their skates? Like, uh, is there any correlation at all, or do you think it's a strictly personal preference for each player? I think it's strictly personal preference to each player. Guys who I thought, when I joined the team, guys who I thought would have a more flat skating preference, the uh, five eighths, three quarters type preference, were actually really sharp in the three eighths area. They were making tight turns, but they were uh, they were really fast. And you know, logic says that that shouldn't work, and uh, mm. but it worked for them. Like it worked really well for them. Right, right. Because, I mean, you're kind of at a certain point, depending on which direction you're going, you're sacrificing, you know, glide for bite or, or vice versa. Um, I, I've, I've always skated on a 716th. I've had a lot of people, a lot of equipment managers tell me it's too sharp and I need to go. Uh, but if I change that even a little bit, um, it just kind of, I, it's something that I have been doing a certain way for so long that if I change it, it just completely throws me off. And so I'm just, I'm kind of not stuck. I'm just, it's, uh, I know what I like and uh, if it's not that way, then I can kind of kind of tell right away. But um, uh, kind of going a little bit further, because I, I do want to get up into the, the point where they win that second Stanley Cup there, uh, if you don't mind. Because if can you look, if, if you look at those teams, if you look at those or if you look at that team, I've always considered that team that 2000, 2001, um, that team is one of the, the greatest as far as the amount of uh, future Hall of Famers and those types of players. What, was there kind of a feeling around the locker room at that point? To like, wow, like we are all in it to win it. Just as we have a we have a good group here. Um, was there anything like that that, that you kind of had a feeling for? Uh, yeah, during the season, we felt that, uh, well, we have a really good team here and that, uh, I remember 
studying and looking around the room one afternoon, thinking to myself, wow, this is really, this is it. This is the chance that we have. And it's a really, uh, just going to, this is a good team. I'm working with Hall of Famers and, uh, It kind of hits you that, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, and the, the other thing too, is cause I, you know, I can remember following that team at that point and then, you know, when they say, oh, we're getting Ray Bork and we're getting Rob Blake, it, it's just, you know, th those types of players, I mean, uh, just on any team are going to be a huge difference maker to, but to have those guys kind of all together. Um, I, I mean, and obviously they're hot, they're the best of the best, you know, as far as hockey players are concerned, but you're the best of the best of what you do. Um, do you feel like they did a good job of including you? Did you feel like, um, I mean, you're part of the organization, but sometimes I think there's a difference between being part of the organization and then feeling like you're part of the team. Um, did they support you? Did you feel like you, um, those guys were close to you? Um, how does, how does that kind of work? Cause I think a lot of people, you know, they they don't know how closely you know those teams are. Yeah, see, I was in the middle. I you know I had to, I had to look after the players, make sure they were happy, but I also had to look after or deal with our management staff to make sure they were happy. Um. Um. So yeah. You know, the players should come and ask, I'm not feeling this. Should I do this? Should I try this? And I'd always ask them what they were trying to achieve and try to figure it out from there. And there were other considerations, you know, like, okay, I had a bad game. What should I try to do? Um, there were a lot of different things, but yeah, I was... You know, players would come up and sit with me on flights home and talk to me about, should I do this? Should I try this? Uh, should I change this? Should I change that? Um, so yeah, we were heavily involved with each player and, uh, and, uh, their staff and management and everything like that. Um, and I did have this other question too, because, you know, it, since we're kind of talking about, you know, the year 2000, that's kind of when I can remember a lot of kind of things changing. There being kind of like more uh, one piece sticks and maybe less, uh, you know, two piece sticks. And the states, the skates kind of started to become a little bit lighter, carbon fiber. Um, how, how, was it difficult at all to kind of like keep up with uh, the change in equipment at that point? Or um, was it not? difficult because i just remember there being like that early 2000s they're just being everybody tried they tried rubber sticks they tried absolutely every gimmick that they possibly could was that kind of difficult at all or were you just kind of uh in the know uh no we were always in the know we had uh we had excellent sales people back then who would come in and show us all the new stuff coming out talk to the players themselves involve us there's actually usually a year before uh, was sticks and skates and stuff became widely available in the NHL. So we had a pretty good heads up of what was coming and that uh, companies were always trying to, uh, you know, get the best, get a head start on each other. So we always knew well in advance of what was coming and and uh, what we should expect. Yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, uh, Sabrina, um, I'm going to ask you this question, but this involves both of you. Um, how did you guys meet? Because at a certain point, you guys meet, and, you know, that's kind of uh, the, the story as of now. You guys are working together, uh, obviously, at the shop, but. Uh, at what point do your, your paths cross? And uh, yeah, do you mind sharing that story, Sabrina? Not at all. So back in the day at McNichols Sports Arena, um, we 
So, okay, sorry. So back in the day, McNichols Sports Arena, when I got our, our jobs, this is the arena that um, the Avs started playing at. Um, my second year there, the Loretta Harmon, who had been, there was a tradition. We had a popcorn maker at like your old fashioned one where like you actually put the kernels in and the oil and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had been making popcorn for umptium number of years. Finally, she decided she was done. She didn't want to do it. Um, being the low person on the totem pole, yours truly got selected to make popcorn. Um, so on game nights, and of course we had the nuggets and the avalanche, um, I had to make popcorn and nuggets personnel were fine. They could go get their own popcorn. Hockey being superstitious had to have their popcorn delivered to them. So I would, um, start popping popcorn at four o'clock in the afternoon, usually. Um, and then I'd start bringing it down. I would bring it to the front office staff. Um, then I would go down to the equipment staff, trainers, and so on. So I would go be bopping down to the equipment room and hand smoke popcorn. And this went on for like a whole season. Um, as you probably can tell, Smokey is not one for chit chat. So <laughs> the only thing I got the whole season was thank you. Thank you. Um, did have a couple of run-ins with walking into players naked. Wasn't planning on that, but that, that Ooh, happened. Sure. Sure, um, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you look at the old McNichols, the the way that it was set up was mm-hmm. like where they got trained, uh, massages and worked on was one room. Then they had to walk across the hallway to another room to the actual dressing room. And yeah. I would be like coming down the back hallway and I'm like, whoops, sorry, gotta go back. Um, so they, they, they probably would, did. They probably didn't mind, Sabrina. They probably didn't mind. That I, you know, I'm sure that they've had <laughs> seen you know, enough women like in locker. They're like, whatever. Um, <laughs> So, and this was like back in the old day where there was a table set up and they'd have blow torches. So you're talking about sticks. They'd have the blow torches set up so that they could uh, work on the curves of their sticks. That's how mm-hmm. long ago this was. Um, and so for a full season, I would go down and drop popcorn off to smoke and you'd be like, thanks. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was it. Um, then we, I had to sit at the front desk for some reason. And some guy brought a pair of skates in for Claude Lemieux. And he needed them autographed or something. And it had been worked out with Claude. And so I picked him up after my ship was like done. And I brought him back and Smoke was in the equipment room because that Smoke had his little room. He was always there. Um, and I gave it to him. And I said, yeah, these are supposedly for, um, you know, Claude to me to autograph. I don't know what the deal is. He's like, okay. And then he started talking to me. Um, and again, this had been months. But <laughs> You're making progress now, though. You're making progress. Right. So, we, yeah. So we ended up having a conversation um, and we kind of ended off um, mm-hmm. and kind of just went from there. Um, yes. It's, but so I always laugh when people have approached me and like, you know, he doesn't talk, you know, is he mean or whatever? I was like, no, he's not. It's not. He's just not a talker. I yeah. take, you know, I was like, took him six months before he spoke to me and we <laughs> own a business together. So, you know, just take it because I think he come and then he, he has a great sense of humor. And I don't think people get it mm-hmm. until, okay, I got it. I'm going to quick story here. Um, oh, no, we were, know. okay, is that's okay. So we were at an event and some guy had found out what Smoke did and came up to him and was like peppering him with questions like, oh my God, this is so cool. How'd you, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, how'd you get into it? And Smoke deadpanned it. And this was, and if he, it was so funny. He looked at him dead in the eye and he's like, poor career planning and turned around and walked off. Now, if you didn't know Smoke, I mean, that kind of sounded like being an asshole, but, you know, right. it was really funny because he was just like, poor career planning and disco because he's very, Smoke is very protective of his players. Um, and that was one thing I think way they were always respected him was whatever happened in the dress room stayed in the dress room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear a lot of that when we do have quite a lot of former players that show up at the shop that... Mm-hmm the mutual respect that was there and that um they knew that they could trust him um huge thing huge yeah oh well yeah and especially i mean for hockey players you know um sometimes you know we're not the brightest and uh you know we, we need a little bit bit of help figuring out who to trust and who not to trust but uh um i did want to kind of move forward a little bit and so you know kind of moving on from professional hockey and you guys deciding to 
open up a shop. I mean, obviously you both have the experience actually uh, smoke at this point. Can you kind of talk about just like the birth of that idea, if you will, um, and then kind of how the shops came to be? And uh, either one of you can answer this or Sabrina, since I'm assuming you were both there for all these things. Just just kind of the, the, the concept or the birth of that concept. Well, the the idea came to me back when uh, we were at a practice freak in, I believe, somewhere in New Jersey during the uh, 2001 Stanley Cup Finals. And uh, I went to the pro shop and I was looking around the pro shop and watching people and I thought, holy, this is right. These people are getting like, bad service, they're getting bad advice, and this is right, I mean, so anyway, that mulled around in my mind for a few days, and actually a few years, I thought about it, I started visiting other uh, rinks and pro shops, and, and I discovered that it wasn't just in New Jersey it was happening. It was happening everywhere. People were going in and not getting very good advice, not getting very good service. And so I said, well, geez, you know, I'm getting up in age and um, maybe it's time to settle down a bit. And I just thought, well, geez, you know, I can do better than this with people and so I talked to Sabrina we were we were friends and you know I asked her advice and she suggested some stuff and you know we visited some of these places and uh, I remember sitting outside of one pro shop watching and we were sitting together actually and I said to her this is right we should this shouldn't happen to people. I mean, this is a top tier team in, in the Denver area and they shouldn't be treated like this. So we kind of talked about it. And then I had a friend come to me and said, well, there's going to be an opening at one of the local rinks. If you're interested, you know, I'll tell you who to talk to about maybe taking it over. So everything went pretty fast from there we ended up with a bro shop and uh i knew i couldn't About run 250 myself. square feet of it oh no. it was oh so you were yeah there you go it very was small. a small drop very, yeah. very small but you know we were able to get it all situated so we were effective i mean we banged into each other a few times and banged into <laughs> fixtures and stuff but we were able to start providing some good service you know well, people could come in and ask questions and we could answer them um you know we worked off our skill level you know uh sabrina has great customer service skills and she can talk to the customers and uh not to mention her ice skills yeah. so when i had a question about ice conditions and stuff like that i could just Hey, Sabrina, what's, uh, what's going on with the ice? And she pretty much could tell me and it was a great. So, okay. That would tell me that ooh, maybe I should back off just a tiny bit on the, uh, the sharpening for the next couple of days until this is up and running at full speed again. And, well, uh, customer service wise, uh, with Sabrina's experience, she she can talk to anyone about anything, and it, it was great. Because, yeah. um, as Sabrina said, I'm not a big conversational host. Come in, and if I'm there by myself, then tell me what you need. I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking, but, well, you know, um, I'm here to give you a great sharpening. <laughs> but that, really... that's, not, that's what they need and between the two of you guys you got it covered you know what i mean this is you know yeah. if, you, if you just if you have two people that are the exact same way they can't cover as much area and another thing and i'm sorry 
both of you will understand this, but Sabrina, with you being maybe the more uh, chatty one in the mm -hmm. shop, um, they're, they, the community really gets to know you and the pro shop is almost like the safe place. It's almost kind of that place that they'll come in and they'll talk to you about what's going on, whether you not you want to hear it. Um, I've worked in pro shops, you know, I don't know, plenty of, plenty of times throughout my life, but it's just, I feel like a safe place that there would be people that would come into the pro shop every once in a while. This, this wouldn't be super cool with me, but they come in just because their kid was practicing and they wanted to talk to me for half an hour. And I'm like, well, sorry, I'm busy. Sometimes I wouldn't be busy, but I'm like, you're not even shopping. Like you're just coming in to talk to me for half an hour. Uh, like I said, depending on how busy you were, it usually changed, but, um, you know, you, the, when you're in a pro shop and especially one that's uh, inside a ring, you almost instantly become a huge fixture and a huge, uh, huge part of that community. But Sabrina, does that make any sense to you about just people wanting to come in and just talk to you and just because you're there or they see you? Yes. Um, you know yes. what I'm saying? Well, especially at, you know, our original building, the South Suburban Ice Rink, the shop was 250 square feet. And in that we had crammed a triple head blade master. We're all blade master at our shop. Um, sure. And as much as we crammed, I mean, it was amazing how much stuff we had crammed in this. So then people exactly is like, okay, my kid's practicing. I want to come and chit chat with you. So we yeah. would be swamped and they'd want to come in and stand there. And it's like, I don't have enough room for you to be. <laughs> and, you know, I appreciate it. But, you know, we could hold maybe two people, three people tops comfortably in the shop at one point. So, yeah. you know, when people would come in and want to chit chat and then, or they want to talk to smoke. And this is a big, you know, it's most happy when he's not working on something to chit chat with people. Um, again, not his forte, but you know, he does this, but a lot of people like want to come and approach him while he's sharpening and he is laser focused when he's sharpening. Um, I don't think people understand how powerful of a machine the skate sharpener is. Um, and you know, he could lose a digit. Um, yeah. so he's super focused on that. So a lot of people come like, Hey, what are you doing? And like right over and it's like, I'm focused. I'm focused. Okay. Please get out. Um, yeah. so, but yeah, that can be, I mean, it's great. And if we're downtime, love to chit chat with you and we definitely yeah. want to give you the best service, um, and talk to you, you know, like, Hey, my kid's doing this. I don't understand it. Um, one thing we tried to provide at our shop is education. Mm -hmm. Um, Colorado, I mean, is now we have a couple of generations into hockey and they understand, um, better, but we have a lot of people that still are. My kid is, just started playing. I got a skate sharpened in September. It's January. I don't understand. Why are they not skating? Well, I'm like, well, have you had them sharpened since then? Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. You know, the education, oh, you have to get them sharpened more than once a season. Um, yeah. Don't buy skates that are too big. Um, I think that's, a you know, the difference in our shop. You know, our shop is a repair shop. We are an old school pro shop. Um, we want to fix your equipment. We want to sharpen your skates and give you good service. We sell some stuff, but we are, we know we're not your go-to. You're not right. coming to us to go over 20 pairs of skates. Um, we're not really looking to sell you anything. We're looking to fix your equipment. Right. Well, it, a lot of the, people. Yeah. But the other thing with this, too, is that, like, if you were to think about, you know, and this happens a lot. Let's say there are kids out there for, like, learn to skate or something, and they come in. You're talking to parents that know nothing about hockey, and they are leaving it up to you to be like, Will you please tell me like what I need to get, what I don't, you know, and, and there's right. They, they are completely at your will because they know that they don't know. So and I've also said this before, is that working in a shop like that, sometimes you are like almost the first entry into the sport because you you are you are you are walking them through, you know, that whole process of what what this equipment is, how you'll need it. And like that's kind of that first uh relationship that you build and then they continue to come in as their kids get older and they come in and they have their stuff repaired or uh, get their skate sharpened or whatever but that sometimes that that and you know sometimes it could be a teenage kid and some pro shop or whatever but either way that is their first entry uh, into the sport and depending on how you guys handle it at the shop they might be like oh this is too overwhelming but you, i think some people underestimate the impact that the people in the shop have because you are kind of that First contact sometimes. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, what, especially again, 
parents didn't play hockey. They know nothing about it. All of a sudden, you know, they join. They're in their uh, mites program or what to learn to play, and they get dumped with a bunch of hockey equipment. And they show up, and they're like, oh, uh, what what are shoulder pads? You know, my elbow, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. They'll come in, and they, like, need help getting their kid dressed. I got to take my kid's stick. I don't understand what that is. So it is a lot of education and explaining. Um, one thing that we're trying to get across is skates right out of the box need to be sharpened. I can't tell you how many. <laughs> uh, yeah. Get parents have come in after their first. I don't understand. The kid couldn't stand up. It's like, well, did you sharpen? Yes. No, we're supposed to sharpen them. So it's a lot of education, and we try to provide that, and hopefully, you know, they'll come back. Um, and we have some great rapports with, um, like, okay, they've grown out of their skates. What are they looking at? Okay, well, I think you should go to this place, and they'll help you. Um, because I, I don't, I don't. We don't have. Unfortunately, we don't have a contract or CCM or Bauer or any of that. So I can't yeah. sell you a pair right. of skates like um, but if you're when they've outgrown that or you, you need to change it, then yeah. I, we have some good rapport with retail shops for that. Yeah. But well, they need to be fixed. Well, and Sabrina, because to be honest with you, you kind of made a transition for me because I kind of I wanted to get to this before we ended. There used to be back in the day before online sales and, you know, ordering everything offline, almost every rink had a shop and it, it was, it was, it was good to have. Now you go into a lot of places and they have a sparks machine with nothing else. You know, they might have some tape and a vending machine or maybe some wax or a mouth guard, but there is, there's no more shops, but people still need shops. But, you know, a lot of these shops, unless, you know, you can have a deal with CCM or Bauer or something like that, it's hard for them to compete, you know. But at the same time, you know, uh, Hockey Monkey, they don't really care. And like, even if, because, you know, I'm down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and nothing truly against beer hockey or Hockey Monkey, but you go in there and it's some 16-year-old kid that plays hockey, but, you know, he's the one that's kind of trying to walk you through everything and they're able to sell you skates and this and that, but... You know, sometimes my fear is that like the pro shops, like that's going to be something that goes away, but it can't because people still need their stuff fixed. They still need good skate sharpenings, not just on a Sparks machine. Like these things, like they're, they're, they're still required. And I just, it, it's with the way that things are going now, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And I kind of wanted to know how you guys felt about that. Um, uh, can yeah, I take that? <laughs> yeah, either one. We're a dying breed, and there is no question about that. Um, it's most rinks have a sparks machine. It's easier, you know, people don't want to learn. It's a skill set. Um, right. And unfortunately, we are a dying breed, and that's what's kind of, it's good and bad. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't tell you how many people have called, like, do you hand sharpen? And I was like, yes, we do not use a sparks machine. Smoke has 30 plus years of sharpening. He's sharpened for eight hockey hall of famers. The man knows what he does, it, what he's doing. Um, you're not getting a 15 year old kid that has no clue. Um, just throwing it on a sparks machine and hoping for the best. Um, and you know, we were pulling gloves. We fixed equipment bags. I think that's the biggest shocker is when people come in and like, I got to buy a new goalie bag for my kid. That's another 200 bucks. I'm invested. I'm like, you know, we can fix that. What, you know, the shock that, you know, I understand there's a retail part of it. And yes, they're, they want to sell you something and make generate more money. I don't think a lot of parents now, because we are a disposable economy, you know, just get rid of buy something new. Things are expensive. Hockey is not a cheap sport. If you can fix it, then do it. Um, we replace tendon guards, you know, tongues on skates, uh, blades. Just because, oh, well, I got my, the blades are gone. I got to get new skates. You know, we can replace those. A lot of people don't know that the education on it is a huge part of what we do. We were palm gloves. Um, we are old school. You know, mm -hmm. it used to be, you know, like Smoke grew up in Canada where you had your stuff fixed. Mm -hmm. Parents remind you a new set of gloves. You got that stuff fixed. Yeah. Um, and that's what we try to do. And we try to educate and help people. And that's one, a big part of our business is mail-in. I oh, yeah. can't tell you, I mean, we we get a lot of equipment mailed in to get worked on. Um, yep. I have a guy in Utah that sends six sets of blades, and we mm -hmm. sharpen them. Up. We ship them back, and then once he's done, he ships them back to us. Um, yep. So yeah, we are a dying breed in that fact. Um, so we'll see. 
hopefully people appreciate what we do and we'll continue. But here, here's the reason why people are shipping that stuff to you, because, you know, uh, I'm in the Dallas Fort Worth area. There's 16 sheets of ice within like, a, I don't know, hour radius. I mean, there's tons. There's not a single place that you can take into anybody to get anything fixed. And we are talking 16 sheets of ice within an hour radius. There is no place. You can't take a document. You can't take pure hockey. There's a couple people that might repalm gloves out of their garage, maybe, but there is not a person with as many skaters as we have here. So then what happens is, is that the standard is if this is broken, you buy a newer. That's just what they think. They don't even, parents these days down here, they don't even see that as an option. They don't know it exists. They literally don't. As soon as something, like you said, your tendon guard or your, you know, the tongue of your skates comes off, they have to buy new skates right away. They don't even look into getting it fixed. And, you know, the, the skates haven't been outgrown. No, that's happened. Right. But it's, that's why people are sending it to you because it is the, the shops are dying. But, you know, I'm hoping that I'm hoping a lot of people mail you stuff. <laughs> yes. Like, because it is an option. I'm trying to tell people it is an option. You don't always have to buy it. You can ship it in. And depending on how, you know, um, you know, how long you can go without it, I do think that it's uh, the best concept here. But going back to the Sparks machines, because I, I did want to talk about this because we have them. And I don't want to get in any trouble, but I don't use them for my skates. I and mean, one of the big reasons is, is because I feel like it changes the radius and my profile every time I sharpen. Uh, you know, it's a little robot hand and it goes underneath just like this. And they're saying that it's nice and even. It never is. Uh, I've skated my entire life. I can tell if I'm on my toes or on my heels. And every time I've had my skate sharpened on Sparks Gym, it changes. I'm either further, further forward, further back. And that is my biggest thing. So I am not arguing that you can't get those blades sharp with them. Um, it's very difficult to get the, the edges even. Um, and it also, I feel like, changes my profile every single. But anyway, that's just uh, my two cents on this part. I, uh, I don't... Look, I understand why people have the Sparks machines. I mean... We have people that live in the mountains here and they have spark machines in their community. And, you know, I have no problem with people doing the sparks every now and then. Mm -hmm. But take it to a, a human pro shop, um, maybe once a month, just to get them cleaned up. Sparks machines, the automatic skate sharpener, the, uh, the sparks machines and the others. Um, you know, if they're left alone, maintained and looked after, then yeah, you can get a few sharpenings out of them before you take them to a, uh, to a sharpening guy like myself. Um, but yeah, you know, try to take them to a, a place that, uh, that, you know, does it every day. We average about. Oh, 30 pairs of skates a day. And, uh, there's a lot of experience behind that. And, uh, we get a lot of teams coming in for tournaments and stuff and asking me if I have, well, do you have, uh, this ring or that ring? And, you know, I kind of look at them, what's a ring, what's a <laughs> ring for? And, uh. He goes, for your, for your sparks machine. I said, I don't have a sparks machine. I mean, that's a kind of a, a, a home. I always consider it a home machine to mm -hmm. look after your skates, to maintain your skates until you can get to a, uh, to a proper pro shop. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like I firmly believe that if. Take it to a pro shop where a human person can do it and, uh, you know, just to, to keep an eye on it, just to check them, to make sure that you're getting a good hollow, that it's center mm -hmm. and that you're not destroying the escape profile. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes things can go wrong with computerized equipment on, you know? Yeah. Well, and then essentially, and I don't know if you've spent any time around them, but they kind of have this like red little lever inside of it. And it kind of changes the depth at which that little arm can kind of go back and forth. And I, I just feel like with only having four options of one, two, three, or four, 
I just, I don't feel like there's any way to like make sure that it's doing it evenly, but I know it's not in my head. I've skated long enough. And I just, I've decided uh, I will, I'll be, I'll be like those guys that never get their skates sharp and smoke. I'll, I'll skate on completely gold blades uh, before I go and uh, <laughs> do anything like that. But uh, I am one of those guys though. I probably sharpen my skates maybe like six times a year and I'm always like four times a week. So I am, I am kind of, uh, I'm in that group. But I'm sure. And then you just got them profiled for the first time. We I, had a conversation. Yeah, yeah, I got I got mine profiled, and I forgot what he called it. There were different like eclipses, or yes. So you had like a pro sharp. Yeah, it was like yes. eclipse four or something like that. Okay, and I actually loved it. But the problem was is that I got it done by my good buddy. I'll shout him out, uh, Corby uh, Entropic. He is now the equipment manager for Arizona State. Um, but anyway, he was the one that did it and I loved it, but then he moved away. So I couldn't get my skate sharpened anymore. And, uh, so I, I had to put it on a sparks machine and I felt like it completely, it just, it, it kind of ruined it. And he, he did the money well, deal for me too. And I just, uh, you know, I just, he's not allowed to move and move on with better opportunities. He should have stayed well, sharpening my skates. I know. <laughs> well, I know. We have a Pro Sharp. This is our newest part to our arsenal. So, I mean, we've had a CAG one where we've done numerous profiles. We just recently got a Pro Sharp. So we can do the Eclipse. So if you want to send your blades my way, we will take will. care of you. No, no, but to, to be honest with you, as soon as you guys were like, man, I'm like, this is it. This is what I got. Like, because uh, I think I have two sets right now, so I can send you one. We'll make this work, I promise you, because I'm just... We'll do it. They're, they're, there's not a lot of things in the equipment world that I really care about. My helmet's 20 years old. I don't wear any breezers. I don't wear elbow pads. Like, I don't actually even wear that much equipment. When I play. But at the end of the day, like my skates are just, it's the one thing I just, I can't, can't mess around with. So uh, you got it. I'm going to send it to you um, for sure. hundred uh, percent. Well, Hey, uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Uh, it's been really nice to talk to both of you. Um, I just, and it's one of those things to where, I've spent a lot of time in the rink industry and coaching and all these things, but I've also spent a lot of time sharpening skates in pro shops. And um, I think sometimes, like I said, I don't, I don't want to say that anybody's overlooked, but um, just pro shops are something to me that, like when I was a little kid playing competitive hockey and, you know, we'd, we'd be traveling around the country, the first thing that we would do as soon as we got to the rink, all the kids would just run inside the pro shop. That was the first place that everybody would run to because, you know, we knew what our local rink had as far as sticks and skates and gloves, helps all that. But it was just, it was just those, you know, those new places, finding that new equipment. And I don't know, pro shops hold a special uh, place in my heart. And it's kind of sad when I go to a lot of rinks and they don't have anything like that anymore. So I really appreciate what you guys do. Uh, but this is the last portion of the show. It's easy, but there's rules to it. Uh, you got to say something positive, Sabrina. You got to say something. I say something positive. Smoke. You got to say. What are you trying to say? Too. I'm just saying, you guys, it just, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that you know what the rules are, Sabrina. Uh, but essentially, you know, some people shout out friends and family. Uh, some people do like kind of like a, a coaching mantra or an idea, uh, but it can really be anything uh, that's positive. It doesn't have to be long. I've had some people do it just like one word. Sometimes those can be powerful. Um, but I also like to talk long enough to where it gives you a little bit of time to think about what that might be that you shout out. Uh, Sabrina. Uh, since you're the chatty Kathy of the two, um, do you have a shout out prepared? Um, I'm going to shout out to our customers. We have a lot of loyal customers that have followed us from the different rinks. Um, so thank you. I we know there's many opportunities you can go to different. You can go to Pure Hockey for a Sparks machine that make the extra ten to fifteen minute drive to come see us. So thank you as a small business owner. Um, I appreciate you and. Thank you so much for coming to us. Hey, you did great, Sabrina. You did great. That's a, that's a really good one. That's good. Uh, Smoke, uh, you got you got anything positive to send out to the world? Yes, I would agree with Sabrina. Thank you to our customers. Um, there's been a little bit of change in our situation, and you know we've had some difficulties over the last few months. But uh, I appreciate our customers, and I also want to shout out Sabrina. Um, Sabrina looks after a lot of the behind the scenes stuff in the shop. She may not be physically there, but the shop wouldn't exist without Sabrina's um, mentorship and, and 
management skills behind the scenes, looking after the paperwork part of it. And besides, you know, the retail aspect and the shop aspect and sharpening aspect, there's a lot of stuff that has to be done. She looks after all of our social media, dealing with the tax folks, you know, the federal and state and all that stuff. And just making sure we have product on coming in, coming in. And, uh, so I really would like to shout out. She doesn't get a whole lot of credit because, you know, people don't see her as much, but I just really want to shout out and thank her for everything she does. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that, that's, 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 that's very sweet, but it's also, it makes a lot of sense because, uh, you guys complement each other very well. And I can see that definitely going into business. Because being in business with anybody that you're, you know, very close to, you know, sometimes it can kind of go one way or another. But when it's, there's kind of like when there's not a huge overlap and everybody kind of knows, hey, this is this is what I'm going to handle. and This is what you're going to handle, because I bet she could say the same thing about you. Um, that's when things really work. And it seems like you guys uh, you guys have that figured out, which is not always the easiest thing to do. And I'm sure it hasn't always been easy, but you guys are doing a great job. Um, I have to do the shout out. So it's not just on you guys, I do it too. But my shout out is going to be for um, local pro shops, just in general uh, around the country. I mean, definitely a smoky, uh, smoky skate shop, but just throughout the whole country, because I think that there's still a lot of people that are doing it because they believe uh, that it's necessary, you know, now granted, it, you know, can feed the family and pay the bills and what, but um, I think that there's still a lot of people doing it uh, because they believe that it's important and they know that um, that it's important for them to be there for the community. Like I said, there's, there's going to start being, and this is, I think kind of sad. There's going to be start, there's going to start being, you know, it not being a big deal that rinks don't have pro shops or that there's not somebody to talk to about equipment or somebody to run in and, you know, uh, help you at the last minute. Um, but I, I, I don't like that for the future. Um, I liked when I was a kid and every rink had their own pro shop and you, um, you got to kind of experience that a little bit more, but for everybody that's still doing it, just keep doing it because it's important for the community and for, for the people that need those services. And, you know, I'm sure that you guys have seen this a lot too, but hockey, like you said, Sabrina is an expensive sport and there could be, you know, and I'm just painting a picture here, a single parent that has a kid and, you know, they're, they're, they're really trying to make, you know, their money last because ice time's expensive and, you know, if you're doing lessons, that could be expensive. The equipment's expensive. Just giving them a little bit of a break to be like, hey, you don't need to spend hundreds of dollars here right now. Come in. We'll fix it up. We'll throw a zipper on it or we'll throw a tender guard or a tongue, whatever it is. Um, that is helping the community um, in a lot of ways that I don't think people are aware of from the outside. So uh, it's to you guys and it's everybody else who, who's doing something similar. But that's my shout out. So um and unless we missed anything, because I don't think we did. Did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? I I would like to go back to the skate sharpening part real quick. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I know uh, Smoke, when dealing with one of your favorite players or your favorite player, um, was very specific on how we wanted the skates done. Um, and I think it'd be interesting since you and I both work with ice and how it affects your skating ability. I think it'd be great if Smoke would explain how Mr. Wah would like his skates sharpened. I didn't want to ask. But I, did, I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to ask. Would you, Mike? Um, he was very particular and he liked, depending on which rinks we went to, um, usually some rinks were very warm. The ice would be very soft, so we'd back off a little bit. Um, for example, we'd go into, uh, Edmonton, Edmonton had some really, really good ice back then or back when I was sh sharpening. And, uh, so he always liked them a little sharper for Edmonton. And then we'd go to different other places. Uh, the old reunion arena in Dallas would be a little soft. Um, the old, uh. Uh, Florida Panther rink in uh, Miami would be a little soft and uh, the old uh, Great Western form would be a little soft. So it would be backed off just a little bit um, just to make him comfortable with his, uh, with his stops. Yeah. 
Well, it's because so, the other thing, the, the other thing, or, or sorry to interrupt, Smoke, but the other thing with him is that like he was kind of like a new style of goalie at that point. I'm assuming he's using his edges a little bit more. He was a little bit more aggressive. Yes. Kind of one, kind of one of the first like butterfly goalies, if you want to consider it that. So if you think about it before, yep. I'm not saying everybody was a stand-up goalie, but they didn't really use their edges the same way that he would. So I can 100% see him being a little bit more um, conscientious of, of where his edges is at, where, where his blades are. Yep, without question. Well, thank you for sharing that. I just really, uh, like I said, and I liked him as a coach. I liked him. I, I just, I did. when you said he was very, it's like, yes, of course, I can see him being very insistent on, you know, needing to change things up. And I did mean, sorry, but I did mean to bring up previously though, that, you know, when we're talking about uh, radius or what you're getting your blades cut at, that is particular to whatever rink that you happen to be at. Because I say 7 sixteenths, but I only skate at my rink. So that's, you know, I say it's 7 sixteenths, skate at my rink. There's times if I ever go to a hockey tournament, though, I'm like, nope, this is not going to work. And then I dial it in a little bit. But I did mean to bring that up because that is important. But uh, Sabrina, you had something to say? Right. And Smoke, tons of respect for Patrick Waugh. Um, mm. Patrick knew his equipment inside and out. And a lot of times Smoke was working late with Patrick. Patrick would sit there and if I'm, I'm kind of telling Smoke's story here for him, but cool. Smoke would work one-on-one -on -one with them and make sure his equipment was good to go. I mean, he that man knew his stuff inside and out and was very particular about it. Um, that's why he was who he was. Um, great man, great human. I loved interacting the times I had with him. Um, very funny man. Um, great sense of humor. Um <laughs> And he was very, can I share, I, I'm going to share a story. This we can always edit. Day. So here's the thing is we can oh. always edit afterwards. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to share it. So back in the day, Smoke was in New Jersey and he was all excited. Smoke is a big fire buff. Hmm. And he was all excited. He was going into New York City. He's actually going into Harlem to spend a night with the fire companies called the Fire Factory. You knew uh, FDNY. And so he is waiting to get a car and Mike Keene is there and Patrick Waugh and they're going into the city for probably not the same thing. And Patrick's like, you know, so what are you doing? And Smoke's like, all excited. I'm going into town. I'm going to go spend the night at this fire, you know, company. And and Patrick was like, you're not getting out of the fire truck, are you? And Smoke's like, oh, no, I'm going in. If there's a fire, I'm going in. I'm going to see everything I can if I'm not allowed. And Patrick mm. was very concerned that his equipment manager was going to be, oh, uh, that's, yeah, you know, might be in danger. Um, and then there's another, uh, was it 2000, 2001 smoke in Dallas with Turco? Do you want to elaborate uh, yeah, on that? We were, uh, I would stand on the bench and he would stand next to me. He was backing up and, uh, we would talk and, uh, he uh, came up to me and he said, mentioned, hey, you're Patrick's guy, aren't you? I said, yeah. Well, I'm having problems with this. I said, I don't think I'm allowed to talk to you about that. <laughs> um, um, I don't know. I didn't know what to say. And uh, luckily, uh, play came in our area. And anyway, that's that stopped the conversation. But... <laughs> Funny, I recently saw him a couple years ago, and uh, he mentioned it to me. So, uh, it was actually, a, actually, it was funny. <laughs> well, but I mean, to, to think about it, I mean, it it, it must make you feel kind of good that he's like, hey, like I I I want in on this. And it's like, hey, I don't, I don't, you're not one of my guys. I mean, it's still cool because at that point he's an elite guy. Yeah. And he, He's actually down here quite a bit. I forgot his official role for the stars. He still works for the stars, but he is their ambassador of some sort. But he essentially is very funny and goes and socializes and yep. talks to people and, and does the whole thing. Uh, you see him out and about everywhere and everybody really likes him. I've been trying to get him on the podcast for uh, quite a while, but he's a busy guy. Uh, he's see, a, yeah. I, I, uh, I actually think he was trying to take me off my game because I was watching sticks at the time and he would always talk to me and I'd get distracted. And it was kind of, uh, geez, you know, maybe this would help. 
<laughs> well, that makes that makes sense. But uh, Sabrina, thank you for kind of uh, pushing the button there on uh, on a Patrick Waugh story. Because uh, yes, I know how much you like Patrick, but also I think Smoke needs to, as you you talked about being in tune with his players. Um, yeah. And there is a huge moment, and Bob Hartley talked about this in his book. And I think Smoke needs to tell it um, because it's huge on how integral his job was and how in tune he was with his players. And that happened um, in game seven of the 2001. Yeah. The 2000. Quickly. Uh, 2001. I walked in off the bench and I felt something didn't feel right in the room. Walked around and things just didn't feel right. So I went in. And I very rarely ever brought these issues to the coaches, but something just didn't feel right. It was game seven, and uh, it was uh, really important. And I went in and said something to Bob, and Brian Trottier came in and calmed everything down. And it was really, really good. Um, so yeah, so, something just yeah. didn't feel right. So well, yeah. I needed someone, someone a little higher up than uh, higher up on the food chain than myself to uh, come in and get a feel. And you, you don't have to say what it was, but did you end up being right? Uh, yeah, Trots <laughs> knew exactly what to do. It was yeah. great. Well, yeah, in, the... in Hartley's book, he mentions it that um, that smoke. If smoke had not brought it up, they probably would have lost. Well, so then I, something... am a... yeah. Well, okay. Well, so so here's here's what I think. Here's where here's where I think we go with this. Is that if you want to figure out what it is, you find the book, and then we find it, or maybe I find it, and then I let everybody. Maybe I post the picture of the paragraph. I don't know. I got a lot of ideas now, but you don't okay. need to say you don't need to say what it is. But I am definitely looking into it as soon as this podcast is over. We'll put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a. Uh... It was a book by uh, a gentleman out of Pennsylvania talking to uh, coaches. Um, we'll find the link and uh, I'll get Sabrina to send it to you. Hey, that sounds good. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, I think that we have most everything covered. Sabrina, is there anything we don't have covered? I don't know. I know I'm trying to throw stories. Smoke, like I said, it's not a big talker. There's a lot of stories there, but. No, um, I mean the yeah the the episode's been so great. I, 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 been okay, I, I just want him to get the appreciation that he deserves. Um, yeah. I mean, I know one of the biggest highlights of his career was when Adam Foote had his retirement ceremony, and he was doing his speech, and on the ice, he's like, "Can't forget the best skate sharpener in the business." Um, that was huge. Uh, that the accolations from him, um, Ray Bork. I mean, you figure Smokey's worked with eight Hockey Hall of Famers, probably more to come. Um, and the big boys are certain about what they want. And if they don't like you, they can have things changed. Um, I think it shows his longevity and how good he is at his job that stayed that long. But, but it's also funny, though, because it doesn't like, it's like, it's not just the hockey players that are super humble, though. It's like all the best people usually within the hockey community are super humble. You know what I mean? So it doesn't yes. matter if you're a player, equipment manager. Sometimes if you're trying to, and you can pump their tires as much as you, you try to, there's just kind of an underlining theme of like, nope, like I'm going to be humble. Like somebody else wants to tell that story. They can tell that story. But me telling that story would seem not humble and not going to do. Um, like I said, I, I can talk to other people all day and, you know, people's tires up all day, but as soon as they put mine, I'm like, let's, let's like, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't take a compliment worth crap. Uh, but anyway, um, well, I, I'm sure that uh, we we will we will kind of post post some of these things, some of these links. Bob Hartley's uh, paragraph. We'll do the whole thing. But I think for the most part, a lot of people listening to this, um, at least from your area, they're already going to know um, what he's done in his career. And uh, this is more for people the way just to. I don't know, maybe hear where he came from and, you know, how the shop came to be. But like he's been doing this for, oh, would you say 30 years now, Smoke? Uh, 85. So 85, 95. I do 
Oh, long forty. <laughs> yeah, I've been around for a few years. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Well, we uh, we appreciate you. I'm gonna send my steel into you, and definitely send it in. I'm I'm definitely going to because uh, I know I'm sending them into the right people. But uh, anyway, this is the last uh, portion. I have to just tell people how to get a hold of us. Uh, they can find us at faceoutspotpodcast.com. I'll say that one more time. It's faceoutspotpodcast.com. Uh, we have a Facebook. We got an Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes. I'm told wherever you can find podcasts, you can find this one. Um, yeah, guys, thanks so much for coming out. This one has actually been one of my favorites, even outside of all the avalanche stuff, which like obviously I was a huge fan of them. But just you, you two have been you know in the industry a long time, and and you guys know what you're talking about. When I have what I would consider experts in any industry. I really like to just get as much information out to the people listening as possible. Um, so I really appreciate both you guys and especially you, Smoke, for coming on. But yeah, thank you guys for coming on.